Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show planned for you today to our special edition. I am uh, very excited to bring this for you today. Now, while I am sitting here excited, you should be excited. You should hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all of that fine stuff. And then that way you get your little, you get the email every day saying, hey, the guys are here. Now we have one comment right off the bat. Winterstorm, good morning, everyone. Honored to be able to listen and learn. Fantastic. Uh, with that, if there are any questions or comments throughout the show, by all means, put them in the comment section. We will put them up and we will ask the questions and get them discussed. Very excited to have y'all on here. This is fantastic. So <laughs> excited. Right? I am. I'm very excited. I am. I'm pumped up. This is wicked. Now, we're excited we're... too. <laughs> awesome. It's now, so legit. It is. Uh, I'm going to go down the line here. I'm going to get everybody a chance to introduce themselves. 30 seconds to a minute kind of deal. And uh, we'll hit you one by one. And then we'll get into the conversation. So I'm going to put uh, Julia, you're in the corner right now. I'm going to put you up first and you can dive in. Here we go. Where are you? Bam. Hey, everyone. I'm honored to be here. I'm Julia Shelley. I am the, how do, where do I start? I'm the head coach or lead coach of Army of Angels. It's a fitness and nutrition um, coaching team of strong, more strong badass women. <laughs> uh, I've been a fitness competitor for over a decade. I worked for the United Nations all throughout that time. So all of my preps for each show was done in a, from a different deployment. So I think there was eight shows, all different war zones. So um, that's why, uh, my different uh, side to bodybuilding, I guess, <laughs> working out with cement weights in Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. I left the UN last year. I'm back home in Calgary, Alberta. Happy to be home now. Just enjoying my first summer home in over a decade. Wicked. Well, glad to have you. Kathy, you're up. Hey guys, it's Kathy Hubble and um, I'm here in Penticton, BC. Um, so I'm a fourth degree black belt in judo. I own a club called Lake Country Judo Club and I'm a head sensei there along with a, an amazing team. And uh, from judo, I joined jiu-jitsu and I just got my black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So that was an honor uh, with Seb attending that. So that was amazing, huge honor. Um, yeah, I also invented a product called the Never Tie Martial Arts Belt. Um, so I'm the CEO of that company, trying to get that around the world as best I can. And I just, I'm really super honored to be here with all of you badass women. <laughs> Again, our pleasure having you. Rebecca, you're up. How's it going, everybody? My name is Rebecca Rouse. I live in Dallas, Texas. I, I don't know if I'm the only uh, person in the United States here, but I know I'm honored to be among the Canadian crowd here. I uh, lo love our friends to the north. I am uh, the founder of Semper Stronger, which is an online fitness company uh, promoting strength, most, mostly strength training, but all types of fitness, health, and wellness. And I also work here in person at a, a brain health clinic, working with um, combat injured veterans undergoing treatment for traumatic brain injury. So I get to work with them in person in addition to the online coaching that I do. I also compete in Olympic weightlifting at the national level. I actually just got back from Colorado yesterday competing at the national championships for the second time. And I'm really excited and honored to be here with you badass women. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. Uh, Kate, you're up. 
Okay, uh, so my name's Kate Stewart. I've been in the the Navy Reserves for about 15 years, most of that time working full time uh, on full time contracts. And my latest thing is I have a podcast called Shoot Like a Girl, where I interview different military women from around the world. Yeah, awesome podcast, by the way, too. Um, uh, uh, not just women, badass women. Badass. Very, women, very right. the most badass women. Yes. <laughs> there you go, um, Julie. You're up. Hi, everyone. Julie Kelly here. I'm honored to be on the panel today as well with all these ladies. It's interesting to see how badass you guys are. I can already tell right now that uh, everyone is certainly at a next level. Um, I live in Fernie, BC. I am a cycling coach, acceleration coaching. So that's my main gig, as well as a personal trainer and fitness instructor. I compete at the world level for 24-hour mountain bike solo racing. I've been doing that for a number of years. I think I'm up to 25 uh, races at this point. You kind of lose track over the years. But uh, yeah, looking forward to the discussion today. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Brenda. Brenda Butterworth Carr, also known as Brenda or BBC. Um, my traditional name is Brave Bear Woman, and I spent 34 years in policing and public safety before I retired from that and made my way home to Dawson, Yukon, where I'm participating from today. And as much as I thought I was going to retire, retire, that didn't happen. My family talked me into working as the executive director with the Trunacochin, which is my First Nation. And so... That's what I'm doing currently and very honored and privileged to be participating with such amazing, badass women today. Must see. Absolutely. Uh, Tanya. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm unmuted. Um, so I'm Tanya. I'm, I guess, a visual artist, illustrator, photographer, designer, and I, I practice jujitsu. I'm just, I'm a purple belt presently and under Faraz Sahabi and I'm just kind of in awe of this panel right now. Well, you uh, you all are outstanding, first off. And again, I'm uh, very excited to get this conversation started. Um, now, the topic is the cost of success. And we, uh, I was talking with Tanya, actually. She's the one that kind of came up with this uh, the concept. So I, first off, I just want to get a, I guess, a definition of what you see as success first off like what is success to you and then we'll start getting into some of the costs and before we get too into it i just want to hit on these uh quick little comments here daniel vante amazing says hey all seb in the house savages all of you in the best way possible <laughs> he says don't let kathy not tell you how many world championships she's won so <laughs> how many how many world championships have you won um so seven in jujitsu, but only one in judo. <laughs> just, just a couple. Only, <laughs> only, yeah, only yeah, whatever. whatever. Um, and then he also says uh, BBC was the CEO of the largest RCMP division, uh, BC in the country. So, <laughs> again, no big deal. Just wandering around with the the heads of the state. It's fantastic. The, yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and not just heads of the state, but uh, I I know lots of people who are in important positions that don't get a nod from the people that I uh, respect. Mm. So uh, to that point, BBC, I mean, Seb's head nearly fell off the amount of times that he's given the nod to BBC. So, 
you know, it's not just uh, positions of authority or positions of power or positions of whatever. It's in those positions, but also being a freaking kick-ass, awesome human being. So 100%. there's that. There is that. Um, so let's dive in. Tanya, do you want to start us off? Give us your kind of general feelings on the topic and then what is success? And then we'll start working around the panel. Yeah, I mean... I I was playing around with the idea of the cost because I have recently be, uh, come to realize that any sort of growth or any sort of change comes at a cost of something. Um, and generally it comes at the cost of a, I guess, usually a former narrative or a former limiting framework that you resided in. And then you have to essentially give that up in order to become something more and Honestly, in regards to success, I'm trying to figure that one out myself. So I don't really have the clearest definition, and I'm just really excited to learn from you guys. Right. Well, let's uh, move it around then. Uh, BBC, let's start with you. Yeah, thoughts on the cost and um, and what is success kind of deal? Yeah, sure. Thanks. You know, for me, the cost, I think it's part of just our evolution of growth. You know, I think that if you're going to strive for excellence, that there's going to be a pathway that you have to undertake. And there's things that are, you're going to have to set aside, you know, whether that's relationships and there's so many other attributes, um, you know, courage, ownership, like extreme ownership, all of those aspects. For me, that's not what I actually set out to do. Um, you know, I come from a territory where we had a number of our elders go forward to Ottawa and they you know, we're very tenacious in their efforts in bringing about equitable treatment of all. And that has always been a big piece of a driver for me. So, you know, getting into the RCMP, that goes back to my childhood. And my mom says since I was three, some of you may have heard this before. I frankly remember by the time I was 13, I had that interest. And it was because of all the things that were happening in the community. And, you know, as much as I knew from our elders that I would take a pathway of you know, bringing about awareness to our community, whether it was public, private industry, whatever that looked like. It's the passion that I have for balance and fairness and equitable treatment. And frankly, the fascination with law that guided me into the, the RCMP and then into the um, uh, British Columbia Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General's area that I worked in for a period of time as well. And when I think about success, I think, okay, what have you given back? What have you given back to community in a good way? What have you done that has benefited everyone in some form or another? And it's less for me about a personal success than it is the collective. And that's always what's driven me. And sometimes, you know, that hasn't always come at an easy, um, it hasn't been easy in so many ways, like, you know, family by way of example, when we talk about some of the costs and so forth, and I imagine that we'll delve further into that. Part of my introduction, I normally indicate that I have three sons, they're now men. And, you know, to me, they're my boys, they'll always be that. But there were times where I wasn't always able to, you know, attend the different Christmas events that they were in. I wasn't always able to, you know, be there in that moment for them when they needed it, but it's finding the balance as well. So, you know, that's some of the personal stuff. And I think where I'm at right now, many have asked me, well, I could have written my, I could have written, you know, sort of my pathway forever, whatever I wanted to do after I left public safety and policing. 
but I came home because again, it's about giving back to the citizens that I grew up with in many ways, but also how as a self-government that we're able to continue to evolve. We're going into our 25th anniversary, which we signed our self-government and final agreements. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's what drives me. And mm -hmm. my sister will tell you that I'm incredibly driven. I don't know that it's driven so much as I am incredibly passionate about doing well and, you know, bringing others along in that mentorship and ensuring that they've got a, um, a platform that they can showcase their talents from. So I'm going to just pause there. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I 100% agree with you. Uh, Julie, what about yourself? What's your thoughts on what we got? Yeah, I mean, just following up uh, some great points there, Brenda. In terms of success, there's definitely, um, you know, the team, the collective, as you mentioned, or your own personal success. So for me, um, as a cycling coach, success may look like uh, helping my athletes achieve their goals, whatever it is that they set out to do watching them improve, whether it's physically or mentally, and just being able to do better for whatever it is that they've set out for themselves. So that's, um, you know, one part of success. And then your own personal success. I mean, certainly, uh, it will look, there'll be many sacrifices along the way that will have to be made. Uh, but really, to be successful, I think you need to have a lot of uh, various elements you need to be passionate, as Brenda said, about whatever it is that you're looking to achieve. You need to be patient. So the journey takes a while. It may not be something that you'll be able to achieve right away. So you need to look at the long game and be patient along the way. Um, discipline. So you need to be very disciplined, whatever it is that you're looking to achieve. So if it's an athletic piece, you, you're going to have to really be focusing on your sleep, your hydration, your nutrition, your rest, uh, your recovery protocols. And yeah, so those are some key elements, I would say, for success, whether it's individual or um, for a team, team effort. Absolutely. Uh, Rebecca, what are your thoughts? I believe that success looks like, I think it's, it can be defined by fulfilling one's ultimate purpose and calling. And the cost of that is, looks different for everybody and it can look different at different points along the journey. But a lot of times that can, that comes with the cost of setting versions of old versions of ourselves that no longer serve us, beliefs that no longer serve us, uh, relationships, food, lifestyle, uh, a lot of different things that just don't serve us up for where we are in the journey and where we're trying to go. And so along my own journey, I've had to kind of thin, thin the herd a little bit in terms of who I surround myself with, if they weren't supportive or they weren't aligned with where I was trying to go, um, have to pivot and evolve. And so, um, you know, prioritizing sleep, prioritizing health, prioritizing nutrition, prioritizing recovery in terms of my athletic endeavors and and then my business endeavors too all of, it kind of all ties together but when your sole focus is achieving that that true calling and fulfilling that purpose it becomes very clear what things are going to help me get to where i want to go or my team or uh, whatever it is and then what what's not going to support me in getting there and it the, the clearer i become on that path the easier it is to get rid of the things that aren't helping me and that are that are really anchors along the journey mm -hmm. absolutely uh kate Thoughts? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm trying to remember if I heard this this topic on a podcast like recently. So I've been thinking about it a little bit. And I think a lot of people think of success as like, you know, the big house or the car or the money. And they don't realize that a lot of people who have that are actually pretty miserable and like don't have a job that they enjoy. Um, you know, they're tired. They're not being healthy. So I think a lot of when I think about success, uh, a lot of that is like, doing something that you enjoy that feels purposeful to you, um, you know, being healthy, being happy, challenging yourself, like it says in the little banner on the bottom, like doing your best. So for me, I'm never going to be a world champion in anything, um, but but I'll push myself doing certain endeavors to get out of my comfort zone and, and try and make those improvements all the time. And then as uh, BBC was saying, like doing something to contribute back to the community, which is kind of what I'm trying to do with the podcast and raising awareness and like sharing these stories of these super badass military women that I've been interviewing. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to Kathy. Okay. Um, that sign that I have, I bought in Mexico, it says success, not just what you accomplish in life. It's how you inspire others. Mm-hmm. That's now sort of what I'm trying to live by more. It was a skewed version of success, I think, what I had growing up. And uh, it was to win everything and to be gold medal at all these things and set goals, put them on the fridge, achieve them no matter what, put the blinders on and mow down the world to get the goal. And I've been too much that way for too many years. And, uh, you know, it's it almost cost my marriage for sure. And uh, some other things that, uh, you know, there was no balance and it took a long time to figure out some of that balance. And I'm still not figured out how to get that balance, really. But I'm getting better and uh, opening my own club and helping my students and running the kids classes and everything really helped a lot to see them achieve became way more important than me achieving. And I've got a couple of refrigerator goals left to go. They're still up there that I'm going to try to achieve before I die, basically. But now I'm a little more balanced in that I really want my purposes become a lot more switched to making better people in society out of my students, whether they win or lose or do well or don't do well, just making them through judo and martial arts better people and instilling that discipline and some other things that I think will be more important to them than uh, gold medal. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Julia. What are your thoughts? Hey, I, I'm actually really happy I got to go uh, close to last because it was really nice to everybody else here um, because my thoughts kept uh, changing as I heard everyone else uh, speak on this. So yeah, the banner that goes across and we see do your best every day. That's, you know, that's true success to me that I'm feeling accomplished and content and satisfied with um with my work every day, with how I help others, with how I inspire others, with my own like personal goals, whether they're uh, fitness or education or whatever it may be. Um, But I think that our goals and as we evolve over the years, our goals change and our ideas of success change. So, you know, earlier on, we might go all in on something. I know I have, and and I know some of the others spoke to that too, where, you're kind of okay, you realize you're going to sacrifice, or maybe you don't realize at the time, but we end up sacrificing other important parts of our lives, because we're just tunnel vision, and all in on whatever the bucket list is, or whatever we're, we're working towards education, degree, anything like that. 
And that does start to change as we get older and we feel a bit more accomplished. I find that that does start to change. And now we can look back, at least I feel that I'm in a place now where I can look back and feel really balanced and accomplished in many facets of life, but understanding that I made certain sacrifices to achieve certain things. And I have to just be content with that because some, it's not that you can't have it all, but you might, you might not have it to the certain level, like world championship in, you know, level in everything that you Mm -hmm. want to do, but being content with yourself and, and what we do to inspire and help others. So once you're in a place that you can uh, really give back to, to be able to do that, because being able to do that for others is so much more satisfying down the road than just achievement for ourselves. I feel. Absolutely. Uh, Sean, got any thoughts? I do. Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, a lot of those thoughts are are thoughts that run through my head as well. And uh, when when I first uh, saw Kathy uh, and the sign uh, directly behind her uh, when she was introducing herself, I thought, yeah, that's it. That's it for me. Uh, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, and and very similar to Kathy, uh, I I didn't always have a good balance. The things that I pursued in my life were kind of hard to get. And so I had to pour myself into them with a singular focus to some degree in order to execute against them. And then as soon as I executed against it, I was switching focus to the next thing, the next mountain, the next task, the next thing that I wanted to crush because I was a relentless pursuer of excellence. But I kind of got lost in the pursuit of excellence rather than in the pursuit of life. And so uh, to Kathy's point, and and I wouldn't mind talking about this uh, to some degree, I'd like to hear everyone's opinion on it. That, uh, like Kathy, I I pursued so hard that uh, I it it required all of those mistakes, those mismanaged focuses, uh, in uh, um, uh, particular focuses, that I finally at a point now where I have a much better sense of how to do it for others because I was doing it for myself, but not doing it for others as much as I should have been. But all of those mistakes that I made now allow me to do it better for others. And so that key word to me, uh, inspiration or trying to inspire others to be better is generally what I try to do every day now. Uh, uh, Not always well, but that's my focus. So my point is this, in order for me to better understand how to do things better, I categorize it against how poorly I was doing my singular focuses in the past while I was pursuing excellence, while I was pursuing what I had in mind. So uh, maybe, Kathy, uh, could you start off with how you contextualized uh, doing it poorly and now doing it way better kind of thing, or maybe the things that have helped you shift in that direction, et cetera? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was very much blinders on, head down, hair straight back, get the goals no matter what. And, uh, you know, certainly involving... Uh, judo in you know the 80s in my teens where uh, I was being pushed not just by my own self but coaches and judo Canada and team Canada and and such to cut weight to make the next two weight categories below my own weight things like that that um, you know weren't healthy but made me just you know drive harder and the more that I was driven and people would drive me I would drive harder and you know I completely had zero like social connections and I was not a good, you know, well-balanced teenager, that's for sure. 
And uh, so then I'm very all or nothing. So I, as soon as, you know, they made the announcement about the Olympics, I went and crashed completely um, so that they weren't going to bring them in in 88 there and in 92. And then I just quit completely. And I didn't just at that point stop and slowly, you know, help my club or just sit back on, you know, I just stopped. I quit. I burned my geese and moved to Japan full time. So I was pretty extreme about things, but, um, you know, uh, I needed that, I think, you know, to get over that toxicity that I was experiencing and having no life. And then, you know, that reflected later when I went back to judo competitively, it was an Olympic girls reunion. We all came back together and then they challenged me and that was it. I was back in full time and master's judo this time, but full in competing and, and running my own club and, and, full on and too much so that um, I got that competitive bug too much again. And yeah, I just, you know, completely ignored my husband and other things that were going on in my life. And uh, yay, I won some world championships and then joined Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and won some world championships there or whatever. But, you know, I was never happy. I was never satisfied. And I'd get to the mountain and it would be maybe achieved that week's refrigerator goal or that year and then it would be just rip that down put up a new one and I can't live I can't actually live without a refrigerator goal sitting there and tempting me and dragging you know dangling the carrot and I felt unhappy all the time even when I achieved what I needed to achieve so uh in starting my own club and then talking to um all my students over those couple of years of first starting up my own club, the realization started to hit me that none of my accomplishments mean anything. And these kids, you know, for them to achieve, and I tried at the beginning to be very, very driving them. And then I realized there's so many really fun recreational young kids that just need a mentor and some inspiring and to be good people. It's nothing to do with, and they can achieve that by just, maybe getting their next belt grading through and they'll never compete in a tournament in their life or getting, you know, that next step of a, a throw achieved or whatever, you know, it's gotta be small steps for some people and recreational is totally fine. And you'll all get to your black belt eventually, regardless of ever even entering a competition. And so I, I think at that point is when I went, went into that mind shift and started realizing there's more to life and uh, almost losing my marriage made a difference as well. Mm -hmm. certainly. And uh, there were other pinnacle moments, but that as well as I switched from being a stunt performer, that's what I've done for 38 years on and off as a stunt performer in the film industry. I switched recently to becoming a stunt coordinator. Now I have to support the stunt girl that I'm helping. Um, like I had to support as a sensei, my students. And now all of a sudden that mind shift really helped me help them be better. It's nothing about me. I just have to hold the pads you know, while they do the stair fall and I just say three, two, one action and, and they take the, the hit. And so now I'm just a supporting person to make them look good and make them uh, shine. Mm -hmm. And I honestly started to feel so much better about my life. Like it made such a difference. I was like, I want to be the one holding the pads. I want them to look good. And then I got gratification when they got a pat on the back. And when I saw that I had way more happiness out of them achieving success, not me, 
that's when my shift happened, I think, for me. And that's all I want to do now. Yeah. I'm going to interject because I, I need everyone to know I was doing some research on everybody. And Kathy actually got to do like scenes with Jackie Chan. And I think I saw some stuff with Rumble in the Bronx. And that's amazing. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm that old. Quietly have to fangirl to myself right now. Oh. I'm fanning girl on you, Tanya. Uh, thanks. Yeah, Jackie's um, awesome. He's he's very cool and good to work with. But I, I would say that in order for you to really appreciate holding the pads and doing these things for your uh, stunt girls or um, stunt performers, you've had to take those hits. I mean, that's basically a, a paraphrasing of what Sean was saying, that you had to go and take those hits and do these experience and understand the cost in order to impart that knowledge to other people and to kind of, in a sense, save them from certain pains and probably allow them to uh, take some bumps and bruises themselves. So that's, you know, I I, I would say that's part of the cost in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Any other, anybody else got thoughts on that? For sure, throw somebody on the fire. Kate, how about you? What are your thoughts? Um. Yeah, I, well, I definitely agree with Tanya. Like, you have to have been in that position to kind of appreciate what what those people go through right and then at the same time i'm sure they appreciate it that much more that the person who's holding the pads or the person who's directing them has been there because they understand that right like you don't really i don't know it's hard to have someone in a position of leadership who hasn't been in your shoes or, or hasn't had those experiences because they just don't have that level of uh understanding mm. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? I'm uh, I'm just going to pick on somebody. Uh, oh, I just had questions. You got, and yeah, by all means, hit it, Tanya. Yeah, I'm just, um, I guess I'm, Chance has asked me to be unofficial co-host. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, one of the instances, and hopefully Sean's okay with me sharing this story, when we first started becoming friends, and he was, I think, getting on the point of like getting to the point of like maybe I you know giving some guidance to this wayward uh, lady I remember just looking at him and he had offered something of value of course and I, I looked and I'm like you seem like and I say this with love you seem like you've screwed up more times than I ever have in my life in terms of making mistakes and getting experience. like that means you are someone well worth listening to you've taken those hits you've gone through all different kinds of paths and I like I said, it, it does seem to be part of the process. And um, yeah, and that's that point. And then I had a question in regards to let me see, let me look here. I was wondering for I guess all the amazing women on this panel, was how much of it was intentionality and how much of it was kind of I don't know if it's curiosity or happenstance, kind of the the process and to uh, how do I say to quote the philosopher Dolly Parton. You find out who you are and you do it on purpose, mm. right? And I'm wondering how much of it was innate and how much of it was just like, oh, hey, jujitsu sounds cool. I'm going to check this out. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you, uh, from you ladies. Let's uh, put Rebecca up first. What do you think? That's a great question. Um, it's hard. For, I started my journey so young. My parents put me in gymnastics at age three and that was obviously long before I made any decisions for myself. And that for me, that was a springboard intended for this journey of strength, personal development. And over the years, I've, I've kind of found my, found my way, I think curiosity in terms of like, how far can I push myself? What's the next challenge I can take on? 
for me, it's always been, it, it started out physical strength and then the mental, the mental aspect came later. And so I'm always looking to push myself, push my limits, push the envelope um, on both of those things. But it, it was largely physical at first. And then the mental aspect came later. I think there has to be some degree of curiosity, but also some degree of intentionality. Like you don't, you don't achieve great things. You don't get to the top in anything without being very intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. And so I think there, there has to be that, that intrinsic level of motivation. You have to want to show up even when, when you don't feel like it, like there's, that's a dis, the difference between discipline and motivation. You know, people always ask like, what's the secret to being, to staying motivated all the time? Well, you're not going to be motivated all the time, but you have to show up and put in the work regardless. And that, that comes with a, a serious degree of intentionality. But in terms of like where the path will take us, I think that that element of curiosity is also really important in, in continuing the journey and, and just kind of seeing where that path goes. Mm-hmm. Brenda, you got thoughts on this? Yeah, sure. I wouldn't mind actually just going back to that other piece when you were mentioning, you know, the things that you have to do to fail forward. I, I phrase it as that because I think it's innate, like it's inherent to all of us that we're going to make mistakes in some manner or another. And it's what we actually do with it, right? So how do we learn from it? What do we need to do differently? And, you know, when I hear about the cost of, you know, the relationships, I also think um, that one of the comments that was made earlier is the choice to shed them as well. So, you know, with my uh, marriage, it absolutely cost that, um, partly because, you know, we went to kindergarten together. So I would imagine communication and growth over time. That's just one of those things that you have to navigate. Um, and then with the boys, you, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, it's you're not for me as an individual, being in such a, a public type of um, uh, profession, historically, and being in those fish bubbles, because that is very much what they are. Like you're literally in this glass bubble and everybody is seeing and, and, you know, commenting and so forth. It's also about creating that uh, resiliency and ability to navigate your way through it. And I say navigate because it's not always easy, right? I mean, you know, when you start factoring some of the media pieces that come and, you know, that onslaught of individuals that have a perspective or judgment and so forth, you know, it's the courage to make mistakes and yet pick yourself up and keep moving through that, whether it's on a personal or professional level. So I didn't mean to jump back. It was just that I wanted to share that from, you know, myself and the experiences that I've had. I think the other motivator for me as an individual has been, well, you can't do it. She can't do it. She's come from, you know, this type of an environment. So all that did was give me far more motivation as well, you know, as I was um, starting to progress through my career and, you know, that tunnel vision does take over. I think when you're a AAA personality or A personality or anywhere in between, you know, you're, you're likely going to want to do well, whatever you're doing, it, um, whatever you're doing. And again, you know, some of the motivation that I had was by way of example, when I was training to become an incident commander, I worked with a group of individuals that said, she's not going to achieve that. How is she possibly going to achieve it? All I did was work harder. So there's that motivation as well. Um, and then, you know, coming back to the question currently, I think for myself, it is about curiosity, always being curious. Um, you know, I often get teased about, are you writing a book? Because I'm incredibly inquisitive. But I also think that there's been intention to it. As I mentioned, you know, growing up in a community where there's such interconnectedness in everything that you do, it's from the things like harvesting a moose. So there's many aspects of individuals that play certain roles, whether it's hide tanning and so forth, 
or, you know, butchering it and then making sure that you're doling it out into the community the way that you're supposed to. Um, and for myself, it was very intentional to get into some type of a policing and public safety role. And it was, you know, intentional that I started to lean in hard. And with that balance of trying to fulfill family obligations, as well as, you know, do well at what I was doing, because it always felt like I had to fight that, um, mm. you know, she's in these positions because of her ethnicity and or that she's a woman. So for me, you know, it was always about making sure the foot was on the gas, but trying to create that balance. So I don't think it was happenstance for me in any way. Um, it was always about the inquisitive nature of my personality and then leaning in hard. Mm, I like that. Julia, how about yourself? Um, when I look back to like my, where my, my humble beginnings, I guess, I, I can't say that I ever expected I'd be where I am today. So a lot of things I did just kind of, I was also very curious, um, but it's evolved. I, I never expected to travel the world. I never expected I would work with the UN um, to meet and work with, you know, some of the people I've had the opportunity to work with um, to now be at a point of competing for so long, uh, you know, the world championship stage. And then now to be coaching others, I, would have never expected that. So that just kind of evolved over time. Um, I, you know, I grew up in a, not a small town. It seemed like a town back then, but it was just a smaller city outside of, outside of Toronto it was Guelph. And, um, you know, we, we grew up in government funded housing. I didn't go to, I didn't have any kind of lessons. I, I had never left Ontario. So it's when I look back, like I, that child would have never, ever imagined even leaving Ontario <laughs> or ever owning my own place or seeing half the countries I've seen or um, I wouldn't have had the confidence to, to think that I could do any of those things. So um, that helps me now as a coach and helping others because it really helps me uh, encourage others to believe in themselves no matter where they come from. Like you never know, be curious like, and pursue your dreams because you you can achieve more than you could ever imagine so i didn't have sorry i didn't have that vision like it wasn't a clear vision by no means it's just evolved and now i feel like oh i do deserve this i definitely deserve to be here but it it that that happened over time absolutely i I wasn't that kid (laughs) uh julie how about yourself Great point so far. I mean, following up with uh, what Julia just said, yeah, I mean, I never thought I would be a coach either until Sean decided to retire and pass the brains over to myself. So that was uh, something that wasn't necessarily I thought I would see myself down the road uh, doing this role either. Um, but having back to the original question that Tanya posed in terms of curiosity or do you move forward with uh, purpose intention, I would say initially when I started racing definitely was moving forward with intention and purpose, just kind of that tunnel vision, one goal, one milestone after the other. But I would say over the last few years, I definitely still move forward with purpose and intention but I've also become more curious, how can I do it better? And having more of a growth mindset, 
you know, what did I do last time perhaps that worked or didn't work? And how can I learn from my failures and move forward more being curious and open to new ideas and suggestions in terms of how I can do it better and how I can help others to perhaps learn from my mistakes and do it better themselves. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Kate, how about yourself? Yeah. So I, it's interesting because I, I think about Chris Hadfield's book when I heard this question because he talks about how when he was like eight years old, he decided that he wanted to become an astronaut. So then everything he did after that was just like, how will this enhance or not enhance? I don't know. How will this help me become an astronaut in the future? Um, and he was very focused on that. And that definitely was not me growing up. I think I changed my mind all the time about what I wanted to be. I don't think I ever saw myself joining the military. Um, you know, in my early 20s, I was like failing out of art school in Toronto, just not really working any jobs that I enjoyed or um, had felt I didn't feel like I had any purpose. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And then I just sort of uh, happened to start scuba diving and my instructor was a diver in the Navy. And then that opened a lot of doors for me. And then once I got to that role, then then things became more intentional. And then it became like, oh, OK, I want to do this course in the military. What do I need to do to achieve that? Um, but definitely before that and growing up, there was nothing intentional like or purposeful about anything I was doing. Okay. Uh, Kathy, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know if anything was um, like in, innate, really. I don't really have any innate judo abilities or skills, but um, certainly, yeah, in intention had, a, had a, a factor in it for sure because um, I just knew for whatever driving reason, um, that'll have to be a therapy session one day, <laughs> figure out what the driving reason might be. But from a young age, I always just wanted to, um, yeah, kind of win everything. And that was just a driving force that happened to be, I ended up in judo because of my brothers. Um, and then I wanted to beat them and then not just beat them, but, you know, beat them up at home, but also beat them like in competition level. And, you know, my first trophy when I got it was just like slept with it, the whole thing, you know, seven years old and uh, in the boys division. And so it was just sort of a, that was the catalyst. I knew that I could make something of myself or be somebody if I could just keep winning. And um, I guess that's why it's, it's been that way for most of my life, that direction, but it certainly wasn't, via skill or innate ability um, because often when I step out on the mat, I've got way less technique and I've got way less ability than most of the girls, I would say, uh, in any division I've ever entered. But, but I have this mental capacity that I have to win. And um, I, I think I have more strong mental capacity than all my opponents. And sometimes that just carries me through. So I think it's been somewhat intentional, but being unintentional. So I didn't set out for this to happen, but I had a driving force of some sort that made my purpose intentional. And um, now I'm stepping back from that a lot more, like I said earlier, trying to find more balance. And I kind of have this 80-20 principle that um, if you're happy 80% of the time, 
and just 20% of the time you're not doing whatever you're doing, then you can get through and keep doing that activity. And it doesn't matter what it is. You don't have to be always a hundred and zero like I've lived my life. So I, I try to live that 80, 20, almost with everything now. And uh, it seems to be getting me through. Like it. Sean, you got any uh, thoughts on any of that? I do. So um, to, to some of the commonalities in the conversation uh, on this particular subject, I'll use myself as an example. So I'm told that at the age of five, I just wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to be in the military. I wanted to be uh, that thing. And uh, so I started moving towards uh, getting into the military. Uh, I was in the army cadets. I did lots of stuff to kind of get my head in the game, as it were. Uh, but I didn't understand the game, so I was just a kid uh, doing my best. And uh, when I entered into the military, I had lots of drive. I, ha I have a certain sense of drive, uh, similar to maybe Kathy in the sense of I'm highly competitive, but I'm competitive more so with myself than the people around me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, if you step up and say, let's go, we're freaking going to go. Uh, so I am a competitor, no doubt, but I compete hard against myself every day. Uh, expecting more or better performances out of myself versus yesterday. So to my point, when I got into JTF Tour, into Tier 1, um, I then got married. And uh, my marriage did not survive because uh, uh, I went through a divorce, uh, more clearly, because uh, my focus was on the team, not on myself, not on my wife, not on my relationships, not on balance, not on anything. My focus was national, strategic asset, and kick ass. And so uh, I subordinated everything to that task. And uh, the collateral damage from that uh, was, was the fallout of my marriage. Uh, and uh, I don't want to categorize whether that was the right price to pay or not. It just simply is the past now. But moving forward, as I move through my various careers, it was that that taught me I have to get better balance uh, for myself because the person that I am, I have to be extremely cautious with what I engage in. So if I decide that uh, I'm going to learn how to make the best fried egg uh, sandwich in the world, get out of my way. I'm going to hyper-focus on creating the best fried egg sandwich. And I might not ever be the world champion at it, but I will claw myself uh, up towards uh, that podium as best as I can. And so BJJ is an example. Before I started it uh, uh, just on my 52nd birthday, I thought, uh, well, I've been martial artist for over 40 years. I knew what I was kind of getting into. But before I went to that first night, I thought, well, this is another 10-year project because that's how my brain thinks. I'm not a dabbler, so I have to be extremely cautious on what I engage in. I have to be very um, intentional as to the long-term project that I'm about to step into because I know what I'm like. I commit hard and sometimes a little blinder-ish. I do sometimes put the blinders on to the, uh, to the cost of those around me. So the cost of success, if you will, is me hyper-focused on not only kicking ass, my own and anyone else around me, but kicking ass for the team. Because to Julie's point, uh, when, I, when I retired from my 15 years of high-performance race coaching, to come and do podcasting. What the heck? Uh, when, I, when I passed that torch on to Julie, I, I knew she was the right person for it. I'd, I'd been watching it for ages. And so to my point, 
it's one thing to hyper-focus and have collateral damage all around you, but it's an entirely different thing to keep an eye out for the people that you can pass the torch on to so that then you can move into that next phase of your life. And that is only something that I realized like not too long ago. Even though I've worked with, in my seventh career now, even though I worked with multiple groups through multiple careers to mentor and lead and all of that good stuff, it's only been semi-recently that I've realized that now my job is to set it up for others to do the things that I'm trying to do now uh, for myself and others. So I, I don't think the learning process or the trying to do better process ever stops. I mean, I'm trying to do it better than I did it yesterday. So I can't see that changing tomorrow. I don't think there's any algorithm that you can scribble on a piece of paper and say, oh, well, there it is. That's life all figured out. Uh, I think it just comes down to doing your best uh, as you try to better understand yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. If I, if I may add, um, Jump in. I think the, the common thread that I'm seeing in everybody is that while it may not be inherently intentional, like not everyone is seeing a soldier at age five and going, that's what I'm going to be. I think that perhaps unconsciously that there there are just inherent traits like Kathy wanted to win. She wanted to beat her brothers, you know, and on the mats and and at home. And for myself, I I didn't I think I wanted to be a ninja turtle. I think that was my big I think I'm getting closer and closer to that. And I realize how actually accurate it is somewhere between a ninja turtle and an artist. And I while I, in the moment, I didn't see there was any intentionality to my choices. Upon, uh, in hindsight, there definitely were because I, I would have these weird like art intensive training camps that I direct by myself. I would just go to my grandparents in the summer and just draw nonstop, like ten hours a day. I'm like, this is how you get, this is how you get good at drawing. You, I'd ask peers and you know, these cranky old illustrators would tell me what to do. And I just went and bought the art books and I would just grind all like no one told me what to do. No one told me to, uh, to do it, actually. And I and I see that that trait uh, in me and how it's carried me through life and what seemed like kind of things happening by random. I could see that they ended up being actually, in a sense, like a, a subconscious choices because I bought a camera uh, for Christmas one year and I was like, I'll test it out at my gym. I don't know why I chose to test it out at TriStar, but then it ended up being a photography career of sorts. I met this, you know, this wiry guy with glasses at the Roslyn Jiu-Jitsu gym who seemed interesting. And I don't know why I was drawn to him. And then, you know, he became, I guess, a, a mentor of sorts. And it's led me to really interesting places in life. And I, I think that there are perhaps not inherent abilities, but inherent qualities in each one of you women that lead you to become like the best in your field mm. or like to, or at the very least to do your best in whatever domain that you choose and uh, chance fight. It's okay if I keep going. Yeah, give her. Cool. Um, and I just, I was kind of curious with, I call it slumdog millionaire because there's cost to learning things. There's cost to abandoning things. And sometimes those costs are delayed. Sometimes you don't realize this choice that I've made was actually a boon or, you know, a, 
something that would bite me in the butt later on. And I'm just wondering if you had experiences where, and let me know if I'm getting off track, but if you have had experiences where this one choice that you made ended up paying off later in life or costing you. That's a great question. Uh, Kate, let's start with you. Uh, I feel like I've been picked on a lot lately. <laughs> Maybe it should be someone else. I don't know if I really have um, not nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, the main thing, um, I mean, one of the big costs for like being in the military and doing maybe some of the more difficult jobs is like the cost that the toll it takes on your body. Um, you know, and I'm having a lot of like hip and back issues now that probably like maybe if I had done better at, you know, keeping up with mobility and um, prehab kind of exercises beforehand, then I wouldn't be dealing with this. But now I've sort of hit that wall where like doing some things is like, very difficult for me. So that's kind of what, uh, what I can think of just off the top of my head. Awesome. Um, Brenda, let's go to you. Yeah, it, you know, there's so many that's, um, I think it's selecting one that's, you know, I think, so by way of example, um, I had no intention of ever going to Ottawa. When I was in the Yukon, and then I made my way down to British Columbia and spent my first, um, uh, you know, tenure in BC, and I was up in Prince George. I, I mean, life was great. You know, I was running Prince George detachment. It was an incident commander going out with the earth teams. Um, I was a train negotiator working in the municipality at that time. Things are incredibly dynamic. There was all kinds of gang wars and stuff that had been, you know, forced up the highway, if you will, out of the lower mainland. So it, it was fun. And when I was asked to go to Ottawa, I immediately resisted. I said I had no interest in, in going to Ottawa and being at headquarters. And the position they were asking me to participate in a competition for was as the Director General of National Aboriginal Policing and Crime Prevention. Well, I was in an operational role. Why would I want to go and do something like that? That wasn't at all of interest to me. And so I called my supervisor at the time, Barry Clark, who has uh, retired in Prince George, um, you know, and he said, Brenda, I think you should go do a tour there. You know, it's it'll give you a different perspective of life within headquarters. And, you know, it'll also open many other doors for you. And so at first I could not see it. And it wasn't something that I had any interest, as I mentioned. But because I trusted him, because I had worked with him for six years, and I knew that, you know, his experience and, you know, him as a mentor, that he wouldn't lead me down the garden path, that certainly, you know, go compete. And then I went home and had a little family um, get together with my sons. And right at that same time, or within that same time period, my middle son was diagnosed with MS. And so as much as he was getting care within Prince George, it was also important for me to go to a place where, you know, he would probably get a little bit better care. And, and, and I'm not saying anything negative. I'm just saying that within Pr Prince George, those um, care pieces have evolved exponentially. Um, but that was also a motivating factor. And I think the, the, the other piece was my youngest son said to me, mom, we've been in Prince George. I'm sick and tired of it. Like get on the plane, win the competition so we can move. So, on I went and, you know, that turned out well for me. I did um, uh, go to Ottawa for about 16 months. And again, you know, 
making my way through this inertia, what I felt was inertia, because when you take somebody who's so passionate about being in the field, working with, you know, the different variety of individuals that I was, and um, just incredibly, um, not only motivated, but it was satisfactory. Like I, I had a lot of satisfaction in that moment. So to go to a place where it's highly administrative, and as well as, you know, trying to learn the ins and outs of, you know, the external and internal politics and all those things. I know that we're not going to talk about that. But I, for me, it was just, it was an entirely different experience. But what came of it down the road was something that was amazing for me. What came of it is that I was able to learn all those foundational pot, um, aspects, pots and so forth, pockets, pardon me. And, you know, understand the inner workings of it because within probably six months of being there i was asked to go on an international learning program which i did with 23 other cohorts from across the globe and had experiences with all of those senior executives as well as you know did visits within singapore the hague italy you name it and from a policing and public um, safety perspective, that was probably one of the most fascinating things I was able to participate in with that lens. The other piece is I um, came back from that nine months as I was still working, but you know we were doing these uh, this learning cohort over a period of nine months. And I came and met with the former commissioner, Bob Polson, and I thought I was going into his office to present this final product of our learning and he said to me, he's like, BBC, he goes, yeah. He goes, so, um, you know, I have this uh, a little position here in Saskatchewan. It's called criminal operations officer. What, what do you think? What do you think about going there? And from there, the moment I said yes to that, and in his office, it wasn't a, a hesitation whatsoever because A, I was going back out into the field. But the, the key piece for me was where it took me after that. So not only was I a criminal operations officer, I became the commanding officer of Saskatchewan. And then I went to uh, BC as the criminal operations officer and became the commanding officer of there. So those moments of resistance, I think for me was also another teaching or learning point that when they materialize, it's about understanding when to say yes, and then, you know, taking advantage of those opportunities. So that would be one of the key lessons for myself. And, you know, also I think about the competitiveness because there is, I think it's um, in, again, inherent that for those of us that succeed and really want to drive things forward, we have to be a bit competitive and we have to get, you know, our heads right with the decisions that we make and then take those leaps of opportunities Kathy, sorry, I had myself on mute because I was pouring myself a drink. But go ahead, Kathy. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Um, well, I actually had a question. I don't know if switching subjects or not, but um, of the ladies, because I'm so impressed with this panel of ladies, they're unreal. Just their feelings on imposter syndrome. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you get up to this, I don't know, successful level or whatever, then you, you just don't feel it. You don't feel successful at all. And you really shouldn't be there. Even just being here with a panel of you ladies is like, what am I doing here? You know, do you guys feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to interrupt because my first post on Instagram when I saw the lineup was like, oh, my God, why? Why am I here? What am I doing here? And as I'm researching all of the women, I'm like, 
extra why am I here? But yeah, just long and short of it, yes, very much so. And I'd love to hear from the rest of you ladies on the panel. Who wants to go first? Yeah, I <laughs> I actually like sent Seb a message and I was like, this is this lineup is like insane. Like I haven't really, you know, like I have a, I don't know, a cool job, but I haven't really like achieved that much. And like, I'm not any sort of star athlete and I'm, you know, not as fit as I want to be. And I'm like a zero stripe white belt in jujitsu. Um, so I definitely was feeling the imposter syndrome. And then even reading the comments here, like Satch wrote for all the ladies, do you feel you had to reach a certain level of like success before you could be ready to feel like leveling up others? And like, even, even now it's like, uh, like, <laughs> why am I here? Like, I don't really have, uh, have too much, this like, I don't feel like I've um, achieved a level of success where I could be like telling other, well, I'm not like, I guess, telling others what to do with my podcast. I'm trying to just like share other people's stories, but I still, I still feel the imposter syndrome for sure. Like all the time. Any other thoughts? Julia, Julie, Julia, let's go Julia and then I'll go Julie. Yeah, all the time, <laughs> every day. Um, I actually reached out to Tanya from her message. So we talked about this earlier today. So I saw what she posted about imposter syndrome and I'm like, hey, right there with you <laughs> all the time. But um, yeah, and I think that comes with, I think understanding that many of us do feel that way. So I do know a lot of other um, high level coaches that I really admire and respect and just understanding that they feel that way too. And so we're all really the same in the end. We're gonna, and we feel that way because we just, we wanna deliver our best. We wanna be our best mm -hmm. and we wanna, and because we care. So that's a great place to start. So we're all here for the right reasons. And in the end, as long as we are, we under, we're doing our best, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I think understanding we, we're all gonna be the same that way. Um, when it comes to, <laughs> Uh, we're talking about before, you know, achievements. And I was always hard on myself, I'll be honest, because um, I was so scatterbrained. <laughs> there's, and I still am. Uh, there's so many things that I want to do. And so I feel like I had a bit of imposter syndrome over not accomplishing, you know, a certain high level of education or not being my best, like even in aviation, I started my pilot's license, but I got bored. I, I liked, I liked the spin slips and spiral dives. I liked aerobatics. I liked that. I liked the fun stuff. I didn't want to sit there in a cockpit for seven hours flying to, flying to Europe. I didn't, it was boring. So I would feel bad being like, Oh, I, I'm just a flight attendant. That's all I did. You know, even though I have higher education and I was, you know, had all these other ideas. But in the end, with my personality and what that job let me achieve and let me give, gave me the free time to travel and the free time off to achieve my fitness goals as well. It was the best decision for me and for my personality. When I was the only flight attendant on board on like high level VIP flights, I'm very happy that I was the one in the cabin chatting with some of these awesome passengers that I had, that I got to know them so well compared to sitting in the flight deck. Mm -hmm. So I would feel bad about that, but I later understood there was a reason that 
I ended up where I did. And then I got my high level achievements in other avenues. I didn't have to be the one flying the plane. So that helped. I can, totally, can I jump in real quick? Sure. I can totally relate to all oh, of that. Right. And where are we? There we go. <laughs> what? Not me. You're good. Be Rebecca. Right. I grabbed the wrong person. You go ahead. All good. Um, so right. I can totally relate to everything that was just said in terms of imposter syndrome. And I feel that every day, I think it's pretty normal for high achievers and type A personalities who always want to strive for more. And, but for me specifically, I have, I, I wanted to serve in the military and I wasn't able to because I have a chronic disease that's disqualifying for all branches of service. And I, that's always just like really eaten away at me for over the years. I mean, this was like 14 years ago that I want, that I tried to join, but as I've gone through life, my husband has been in the Marine Corps for 18 years. A lot of the friends in, in the circle that I have um, are like high achiever, high achieving military personnel. My closest friends are all special operators. And I found myself in the circle, ironically, just with a lot of military personnel. And I still have that feeling of like, my story is, you know, I, I couldn't serve in the military. And I feel like that's a part of my identity was like me still wishing I could. And as a result of like the people that I surround myself with, I always feel like my story is not good enough to share because I didn't, I didn't go to war. I haven't seen combat. I haven't had this trauma that all my friends share in their personal stories. And I've had to work through a lot of that. And, and I still kind of feel it like my story is not as cool or not as good or not as traumatic as all these other people who I am really inspired by. And then, and feeling like I don't have a seat at the table. And they, my friends always have to reassure me that you don't have to have served in the military or have gone to war to have a story worth sharing. And it's still something I grapple with every day. And, you know, I, I, I haven't achieved some of those things. I don't have the, you know, the combat action ribbons and that sort of thing. But um, I, I just try to live my life and, and feel and show up in, in such a way that I can and remind myself that I still, even though I didn't go to war and I didn't serve, um, I still have a, a story worth sharing. And I can still empower and impact other people's lives by sharing my authentic self and um, and so I just have to remind myself of that every day and I just keep showing up because um, just having grown a social media following and getting messages every single day from people who saying like, I inspired them to sh to go to the, to show up and go to the gym that day or to get off the couch or to, to uh, work through you know, a difficult situation in their relationships because of the strength that I show and show sharing my story. Um, it's, it's pretty cool to see like when you, when you just are, are you and, and you own that. Um, the, the power that you can have regardless of where you have or haven't been. So, so yeah, I absolutely. no, absolutely. Um, Julie, how about yourself? Got any thoughts? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. It's hard to keep up becoming right. in and out. Uh, I'll address the imposter syndrome to begin with. And I think we, as everyone said, we all have it. And, uh, you know, the more you, get on in life probably just it seems to be increased rather than reduced and the expectations that come um, competing at a high level or operating at a high level they just continue on um, I mean I same thing I was terrified the first time I was on the collective because I think I was with a couple green berets and I thought what am I doing on this panel and I was terrified and same with today I mean I probably would have been more terrified and now that I know how badass everyone here is so um, you know, that, that's something that uh, I think everyone uh, struggles with, imposter syndrome. Uh, I would like to go back to the initial question that was raised Absolutely. a while ago with uh, Tanya when she said, was there something, a mistake or something that you did in the past um, that sort of bit you in the ass later on? And um, 
I think it's something important to share. And I would say for myself, um, something that really bit me in the ass um, as an athlete was not eating enough. So I, um, for anyone who's listening or familiar with REDS, relevant energy disorder in sport. So it was something that bit me in the ass last year. I wasn't recovering. I wasn't performing at the level that I wanted to, and I couldn't understand why. And Sean had addressed this with me years ago and, you know, brought up all the points. And I read all through the literature that he sent me and I thought, well, no, that's not me. I, I didn't have a, a growth mindset. It was more closed tunnel vision and looking at all the statistics and, and thinking, oh, I only have one of these things so that this is not me so it wasn't until it bit me in the ass last year that it actually did something about it and started to eat more and perform more so i think it's important to share because then i've been able to now be more mindful of it and to share with young athletes coming into sport or they are in sport i'm currently mentoring a young girl out of cranbrook through the ride like a girl program and now I find it's very important for me to share that with her as well as other young girls coming into sport that you do need to address these things and it's become more open. But, you know, back in the day, it was quite common, but people just, you know, thought, well, that's just part of it. Losing menstruation, these kind of things, that's just part of being in sport and a young athlete. And so I think it's important to just get that out in the open. And for me, it was able to move myself forward, but also to mentor and help other girls um, be open to chatting about it and knowing that some of these issues are not normal, that it's probably a deficiency, you're not eating enough. And that's why you may have loss of menstruation, low energy, not sleeping, not performing, these sort of ramifications. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it's kind of a, a, a random thing that just kind of kicked into my head, but you and Kate should link up and have ride and shoot like a girl. And then you could be a bunch of, uh, badass chicks roaming around on mountain bikes with rifles. It'd be outstanding. I'd be all over that. Um, I also, have, that sounds awesome. Kind of dangerous, but you know, right? it's super safe. Go ahead. Totally. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I just have a couple, uh, comments that I wanted to hit on real quick and, um, there's a couple questions and then we'll, but we'll get into that in a second. So, um, first off Octavian says amazing initiative to make this panel of badass happen. Uh, girlfriend will be listening to this one for sure. Um, Satch did put in this uh, question for all the ladies. Do you feel you've had to reach a certain level of success before you could be ready to feel like leveling up others? And we're going to get into that in a second. But I just wanted to make sure um, I hit this uh, other pieces real quick. Uh, so JK says, I'm a recent follower of Kathy's. It means a lot to have you all as role models for women over 25, 35, 45. Um, and way to transition and continue your growth, Kathy. So we got uh, awesome, some awesome people. Seb's in the house again. Uh, it says temporary obsession is necessary to reach the top. Temporary being the key word. And I think that's a big one. Um, he goes on with imposter syndrome afflicts mostly high performers. The key is to override it with what you know you bring to the game. You ladies absolutely deserve to be there, notwithstanding who's done what. Satch says 100% agree. Seb, these women on these panel are exceptional. So... Um, any other thoughts or comments or, uh, Tanya, do you want to direct? Oh, this I just a... had silly comments in terms of how <laughs> chance and I both belong to the club of 
eat enough protein for like a nine-year-old girl. So that's yep. the club that we belonged to for a while until we got that sorted out. But um, in regards to, I'm just trying to think. Actually, Chance, take over for a sec. My brain okay. is at a blank. Okay, so let's go back hey, to Chance. This, uh, uh, yes. I wouldn't mind throwing in my two cents By here. All means. Uh, just a couple of things. One is on the imposter syndrome. I think I've been pretty clear in the past over a number of different podcasts that uh, I suffer from uh, and suffer uh, from imposter syndrome. But uh, suffering is a strong word I'm throwing out there to make the point. I suffered from it until I got a grip on it. And so I've I've had a really, really strong imposter syndrome drive uh, as long as I can remember. And it's what's driven me to the heights that I've achieved, whatever minor heights they've been. Uh, it, it drove me to never settle. It drove me to feel like I had to earn my spot at the table every day. Uh, that's just the way I've always felt. And uh, the imposter syndrome uh, term was completely new to me. In fact, I think it was Seb that uh, was the first one to say, hey, you got a little bit of an imposter syndrome going on there. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, but uh, upon reflection, of course, uh, the terminology imposter syndrome totally makes sense to me. So right now, like, I can't even believe I'm in a podcast, podcasting, because I don't feel like I belong in front of a microphone. And everyone knows that that's my way. I just don't feel like I should be podcasting. But I, I take uh, faith in the fact that people keep saying, keep on keeping on. And I believe that that is the message out of imposter syndrome is whether you believe in yourself or not, or whether you believe that committing to the process in front of you is correct or not, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. You just got to commit. You just got to believe that the voices in your head are nonsense and that you can go kick ass. And uh, I can understand that as I look back over the last few decades and realize that, yeah, it does make sense. It does play out that way, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of hard work to uh, understand that process. And so I'd like to use uh, Rebecca's story uh, to some degree to illustrate that. Uh, so I, I've been watching Rebecca uh, ever since she first came on our podcast and uh and watching her lead up to the Nationals, she had a rough go of it. And uh, what I really appreciated about Rebecca's uh, path towards the Nationals was the fact that uh, she she was sick. She was underperforming. She was kind of bummed about how things were playing out. But she kept a really good mindset. She kept uh, positive. And, and when she just competed on the weekend, uh, like her, her write-up was inspiring to me, man. Like I just thought, yeah, mm -hmm. good on you, Rebecca, for setting such an awesome uh, standard of how to do things in a righteous way to send a positive message to encourage others in these hard moments that uh, don't focus on the negatives, focus on the positives, et cetera. So for the imposter syndrome, sometimes you've just got to shut down the negativity and understand that focusing on the positivity of the moment is enough to get you uh, through the moment, as it were. And, Absolutely. and oh, okay. Yeah, and for me, it's as much as I don't believe in, you know, looking for external approval, what really helped me overcome my imposter syndrome was a friend who's an uh, Olympic wrestler. She she mentioned, she's like, I value my time. I, you know, I've met all sorts of wonderful people and I still, like, and it sounds, I'm going to do my best with the phrasing, and I find you worth speaking to. And the joke in this is if Sean is willing to talk to me still, it's a decent litmus test for getting, you know, whether or not I am doing my best because he seems very exacting about that. 
but it it is actually really helpful to look at your circle and being like, wow, I'm a, I'm surrounded by badasses. I may not necessarily be a badass in the way that they are, but I have, I'm doing my own thing. I'm, I'm telling my story. And if I'm doing my best and, and keeping this kind of company, I, you know, I'm probably not doing that poorly. And I think that's something really, really helpful. That was really helpful for me. That's a great point. It really, if you're suffering from imposter syndrome, look at your circle, right? And there's that old quote, um, you know, I, I, I can tell who you are by your five closest friends, something like that, you know, of the fact that your circle really does define you. And if you're surrounded by awesome people, I, you're probably one of them. <laughs> right? That's a pretty simple thought pattern. Um, any thoughts on anything we've gone over so far before we hit this question from Satch? Anybody? Sure. I, it's Brenda. Yep. So, yeah, I, for myself, in terms of those, the circle, I, I know that like, I'm mindful not to be repetitive, but I would also say that it is, it's incredible and, and incredibly important to ensure that you're surrounding yourself with not people just like yourself, but, you know, diverse individuals and that mm -hmm. those that are going to motivate you as well as inspire you and frankly, check you, right? So, you know, if you start going down a path that maybe isn't the best path for you, whether that's on a personal and professional level, that they're actually going to be able to say, listen, you may want to reconsider that, that they actually have the courage as well. So I think, you know, the diversity of that circle is important because I, you know, through the course of my professional career and, you know, personally as well, I've witnessed many individuals that will surround themselves with like-minded people, but that's all you get. And, you know, when you're sitting in key roles, um, I think it's, again, you know, important that you're very careful in terms of how you're selecting individuals, right? But also that you have the courage of ensuring that you're creating that diversity of thought, experience, and all of those aspects. And, you know, in terms of um, one of the items that was uh, uh, just said here, it's about getting your mind right. Right. And, you know, that mental fortitude and the ability to overcome whatever is a challenge or, you know, a different type of experience that you might be having and then deciding, no, I've got to go this way. You know, it's it's getting your head wrapped around the fact that you have to do something a little bit differently and or that, you know, enable to persevere. That you're actually you've got the mindset to do it. So those are the two pieces that I just wanted to follow up on. Absolutely. Any other thoughts before we move on um, to something else? Yeah, I, I always have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I would say like in regards to what Brendan and Rebecca, Rebecca just said, that while it can be easy to feel out of place because you're, you know, I'm not military or I'm not these things, I think it's also really important to recognize that they need you in a sense, the diversity, because they need to learn that strength and, and integrity and all these other values that we all try to embody. They come in different forms. And it is really good for all the people around us to understand that strength isn't always necessarily portrayed in one way. Resilience isn't always demonstrated in one way. And the more you open your mind to that, just the, the more growth and the more potential that you can achieve. Absolutely. Anybody else before we slide on the next topic? I know I'm inspired now to get to the gym because of Rebecca. So <laughs> right after this, I'm hitting the gym. Yeah. I love it. There we go. Um, 
Okay, so we're going to hit this question from Satch. Unless, Tanya, you want to go somewhere else with this. What do you think? You're good? Okay. So the question from Satch, again, is, do you feel you've had to reach a certain level of success before you could be ready to feel like leveling up others? So let's take uh, Rebecca. What do you think? Because you're a strength conditioning coach right off the bat. Let's, what do you think? I think so. I think part of building confidence and feeling competent enough to help others achieve what you've achieved. I think we talked about this earlier. It's like being, having done it yourself, it makes you more credible. It makes you more um, knowledgeable, obviously through your own experiences. So I do think so. Um, I think there's always someone who's going to be more successful than we are. And so that's, that's a good thing. We should want to strive to be, to become smarter, to become more, more knowledgeable, more, more professional in our craft. But I also think there's still some some benchmark and that, that, what that looks like or where that point is might be different for everybody and where, where they feel like they've reached that level. Um, you know, I, th I think that can vary person to person. But for myself personally, I do. I had to, you know, I had to work for somebody else. I worked for a gym for six and a half years. I got a lot of education that way. And it wasn't really until I became, you know, had several years of personal training and then I became a manager, had leadership experience that I felt like I was prepared to go off on my own, become an entrepreneur, start my own business, build a team from scratch and build my own brands. Um, mm. So that's, that's just my personal experience, but that's kind of how I see it. I like it. Uh, Kathy, yourself. Yeah, definitely. I felt I needed uh, titles or whatever. I had to have titles under my name in order to um, feel worthy, I guess, of being able to level up my students. And uh, that's probably incorrect because you can level up somebody and make them feel good at what they're doing without having titles and without having world championships or letters behind your name or any of those things. You can still, I believe, yes, you have to have walked the walk, but you know, you have to have done judo to be able to award a black belt to one of your judo students for sure. But I think, you know, I could be average Joe and I would be a better teacher um, than the guy with the 17 world championships, possibly, because I care most about my students and leveling them up. So yes, I felt all along, up until the last couple of years, I had to have all these titles, and that gets back to what I was talking about earlier, in order to just feel worthy mm -hmm. of you know anything, really, especially to leveling up my students. Um, if I'm going to award a black belt to a student, I, I need to have won all this. But to be honest, you could be the most recreational judoka on the planet or jujitsu practitioner. And as long as you've walked the walk and you can teach the craft, but mainly most importantly, that you can level up those students to be better, that those students to become better. And same in the uh, film industry, if I'm gonna make a, a better stunt performer out of that girl, then I have to do everything possible to raise her up and let her shine. Yes, I will have had to have walked the walk and been a stunt performer myself, so I've been there, but I may have never been a Taurus Award winner, which is like Oscars for stunts, mm -hmm. um, or anything. I didn't ever, and I wasn't ever in, in stunts. In the stunt performing industry, I was never anything, you know, and a lot of my friends who are in the industry have ton of accolades. I just kind of was in the background doing stunts all along on and off um, here and there. And I had specialties and things that I would come in for specifically, but, you know, I totally admired these stunt professionals who were way up there, way above 
and they won all these Taurus awards and they did all these huge gags. And that's why I never felt worthy of being a stunt coordinator. There's no way I could ever become a stunt coordinator because I, I didn't do these giant things. And, but when I became a stunt coordinator and suddenly started supporting them, I had been through the walk, so I understood it, but mainly I knew how to support them to do it. And that I think I've, I've become a way more, a better stunt coordinator than I ever was a stunt performer. So I guess that's my answer to that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Julie, what about yourself? Yeah, I agree with what Kathy said. You definitely have to walk the walk. And I've been in fitness for over 20 years. And when I first started as a fitness instructor, I thought, well, you know, nobody's going to want to come to the class if I'm not fit. No one's going to want to train with me. If Same thing if, I, if I'm not fit. And that may be the, may be the case. Um, so you do have to be a good role model and set the stage, walk the walk. And then moving into as a cycling coach, uh, when I first started again, I thought, well, no one's going to want to coach with me if I'm not crushing every race and, and winning it all. I have all these titles. Well, that's really not the case. It's more they come to you because of your experience that you've done the work. You might have won, but you've also failed. And I started with a new athlete uh, this week and she was in town. So I had her come into my office and we did couple hours just some one-on-one -on -one stuff to get through the all the fine-tuning and and some of the technical aspects that we do with training and after she left she said you know well I can tell that you're well researched and well versed because she saw all of my books in in my office but not once did she mention anything I have a couple um plaques and and uh, trophies in my office she never said oh well I saw all of all of that. So that means you're a badass and you're a good coach. She was more, she knows that I'm well versed, I'm well read, well researched, and that I can help her level up her game. It's not about how many championships I won or lost. It's about my experience and what I can share to her with her. Absolutely. Uh, BBC, what about yourself? Yeah, I would agree with that because, you know, for myself, it's less about the accolades than it is the experience and, you know, the confidence that you gain in that experience. And so, you know, early on in my uh, previous career, I had been recruiting and, you know, so you're, you're bringing individuals into the organization, you're, you know, looking at setting them up um, for success. The benefit that I had in the different levels that I was able to achieve is that even at the lower levels to be able to instill that um, experience and confidence because you know if you're um, at the time it was recruits now cadets but if you're a, a cadet or a recruit trainer that's part of your responsibility so you're already sharing the information and knowledge that you would have gained and then ensuring that that individual is set up for success and so you know for myself as my um, sphere of influence increased then you know, absolutely, it gave me that much more um, opportunity and responsibility to bring um, individuals that were currently in the organization and support them into different leadership roles. And sometimes, you know, when you're at those different levels, it's easier to see the strengths and abilities that individuals have because they may not be able to see it in themselves and may not think that they have them. And, you know, to be able to, again, set them up into positions where you're going to stretch them, not like a rubber band where it slaps, snaps back, but, you know, <laughs> give them those opportunities where they can fulfill their um, talents. So I think, you know, it goes back to the initial discussion around inspiring others to succeed, but also 
be very methodical in how you're doing it and, you know, allowing others to continue to grow. So I, I don't know that it was any particular level. I just knew that as I was going up in um, the organization, that that sphere of influence increases. And, you know, especially when you're sitting in the senior levels, you absolutely have a lot more influence and opportunity to bring people into different positions, support them in their career paths and, you know, whatever, whatever um, goals that they may in fact want to pursue. Um, but I think also when I go back to the community that I grew up in, you know, that was expected. So, and it didn't matter what you did, it was how you were doing it and doing it in a good way. So, mm it's a bit of a balance again. And yeah, I don't think there was any particular level in, it was just about always supporting people around you so that, you know, they would be as great, if not better than myself. And so, you know, when I left the organization and retired, there's people that had achieved all kinds of great successes and, you know, it didn't matter what they were doing. It was the opportunities that were, you know, supported um, for them to, to achieve who they are in their um, capacities. Absolutely. Uh, Julia, what about yourself? Uh, yes, I, I did feel that I needed to reach a certain level of success in a couple different ways. So uh, in education and, and, you know, accolades and then and then as well as in experience and it did take me a very long time until I felt that I could uh, put myself out there as a as a coach uh, fitness coach online and even just the entrepreneur side of it I I had never been an entrepreneur until about a year ago so all of this is still new and I've grown a lot in the past year um, but yeah I was competing since 2011 I I know a lot of competitors that they do one show and they're, um, you know, advertising themselves as as an expert, and that's that's not wrong. I'm just, I definitely wasn't there. <laughs> I was not. I did not have those feelings. I had a lot of people assuming that I was an expert um, way before I felt I was. So I needed to collect all of the certificates um, and ex a lot of experience before I would actually start coaching and and helping others. Though I did help others um, beforehand, but I think I would do it more, well, I would do it for free for the longest time. I never valued myself to actually, you know, make it a career until I had had a certain amount of experience. And for me, that took far longer than needed. However, I don't regret it because I got, I, I had the career of a lifetime. I got to experience so much while I built my education and my experience. So it was, it worked well for me, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kate, what about yourself? Um, yeah, I, I kind of touched on it earlier with myself, I guess. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to level up others with the podcast by interviewing them and sort of sharing their stories. So for that, I mean, I guess I don't feel like I necessarily needed to reach a level of success because I'm just interviewing them. Um, but I do think, I don't know, I think there's a difference too between like if you're going to level them up in um sort of being a coach and like maybe charging money for a service like you you should probably have to reach a certain level of um success or just know be able to know what you're doing like for example i might not you know if i was going to do a, a fitness competition i might not want to hire someone who had never done one or who is like 
overweight uh, and eats McDonald's every day. But I think, but I think that you can level up others without, um, you know, because you're not like charging money for a service, you could help inspire them very easily. And I don't think that you necessarily have to reach a level of success to do that. Like, I think it's almost more inspiring to see someone who, who hasn't reached a level of success, but who's out there like grinding every day and doing workouts and or doing like the hard things and they're just maybe more of a normal person versus someone who's like a semi-professional athlete. Mm -hmm. Tanya, you got any thoughts? Yeah. Um, so in regards to what Kate just said, which was really, it really resonates because I, I don't feel I'm at a, a place to coach anyone per se, but I realize that just because I'm not a coach doesn't mean I can't be a good training or sparring partner if that makes sense, because there's a million different ways to level somebody up. And I inadvertently became or I'm becoming some sort of mental health advocate just by telling my story and just talking about being essentially in the trenches of like, this is what I'm doing. This is what's worked for me. This is what hasn't. And it, even if you just take away the fact that, oh, this, you know, this is not anything, what I want to do, what this, this woman's doing on the internet, then I've done something, I've contributed something to someone's development. And, and, and then in regards to things like, sometimes not feeling like you have exactly the requisite education or the experience, I found that, for me, a lot of valuable coaches may not have had exactly the right letters after the last name, but they care, you know, you have to be competent to a certain degree, of course. And, and more importantly, you have to be curious about the individual that you're coaching, you're guiding, and you have to, you have to work hard. You, you may, you may not know at the time, but you're like, I'm going to research, I'm going to figure out what will work for you. And I imagine Kathy knows like leveling up others also causes you to level up. Cause I've heard when, instructors black belts start teaching that's when they really like deepen their understanding of jujitsu mm -hmm. so, so uh, there's yeah yeah there and, is that and i'm still never i'm too much imposter syndrome to ever even want to teach jujitsu yet i only teach judo or judo <laughs> for jujitsu i know i have a black belt in jujitsu and i've won seven championships but i still have major imposter syndrome i don't even magic number. Yes. that's when it that's when it all like hits. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. And and then there's things like I've read. Uh, I think it's Stephen Pressfield's Going Pro. There was a certain point where I was very reluctant to refer to myself as a professional photographer or illustrator. And eventually, I I began to almost I began to believe that I was capable of doing so because I had not just simply reached a certain level. Like I could make one nice looking image, but I can make a number of nice looking images in a lot of different conditions. And I, for me, like a pro or a success, that is, that is kind of how I measure it is, is yeah, it's a, what separates a pro from an amateur is that I can do something consistently well in pretty much any scenario. I have a, a number of different tools and skill sets and experiences that I can then employ to my uh, advantage. An example of that is when I when I actually started believing that I might actually be able to do this for money is Sean and Seb, we were doing a photo shoot in the woods. 
somewhere in by red and the weather conditions weren't great and I had very little equipment, but I just relied on my experience, relied on all the practice and on my understanding of the topic. And I still managed to make a, a decent looking image. And that's when I'm like, okay, I think I might actually be able to guide or level up others because I have shown to myself that I can do these things uh, with whatever you hand me, whatever situation you hand me. Yeah. Sean, you got any thoughts? I do. And so um, level of certain level of success, uh, I'm still trying in my own head for many years to define success. I don't even know what it means. I, I don't think I've ever been particularly successful. Uh, I think that uh, I have a relentless pursuit to be better, but I don't know if I'll ever be better. Uh, so I don't know if I've ever achieved success. Um, but I do know this uh, in respect to professional and amateur um, uh, descriptors. So any athlete that I ever worked with over the 15 years, uh, when they would uh, generally hassle me to coach them because I turned away more than I ever accepted, uh, if they were a cool person and, and were in it for the right reasons, I didn't care if they'd ever been on a bike before. That was unimportant to me. Or if they'd been on a bike a, a thousand years, it didn't matter to me. You had to show up as the right person. And if I saw something in the person, then I'd accept them as, as an athlete. And within, within the day, I'd uh, be saying to them, listen, now you're a professional. And what does that mean? Uh, it means that I would challenge them to drop the word amateur out of their mindset and immediately in a split second start acting like a professional. It doesn't mean that you are a world champion. It just means that now you're in the game of professional thought, professional action, professional pursuit. And that mind mindset shift in a split second, anyone can do it. Uh, it's It's not contingent on results or how long you've been in the game or whether you've got a sponsor. It's contingent on your mind, your mindset shifting from an amateur mindset to a professional mindset. And uh, it's the professionalism of your mindset that will take you much further than uh, the, I was going to say, uh, lazy mindset. Uh, I'll, that's a casual statement. A professional mindset will take you much further in life than the uh, poorly chosen amateur mindset. Uh, we've all got the choice to choose between the two and no one should ever accept an amateur mindset um, versus a professional mindset. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, now, any other thoughts or questions that anybody would like to jump in on? I had a question. Absolutely. Um, since I have such an amazing experience panel of women, badass ones, like, have you guys ever experienced some men who put you down, not lift you up? Because maybe they're a bit threatened, maybe with your success and that sort of thing. And what do you do about it? That's a great question. Um, who, who am I going to pick on first? How about uh, Julia? I'm going to put you on first. Put you on the fire. Oh, geez, that's a big one. So men, if men are intimidated why or threatened? By the, by my success is that what? Yeah, or put you down, put put you down instead of lifting you up. How do you react on that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess that's happened lots. I, 
I've mostly worked with men as well. So I've been, I guess, surrounded, at least for the, the UN work. So for the past decade, I've mostly worked on deployments. So mostly with men. Um, so I think just being really comfortable and really confident in who I am. And that wasn't how I woke up every day, you know, but it was just certain, certain scenarios where I found, I think because, especially because I worked with mostly men or had all male passengers on my plane. So for instance, in Afghanistan, we would, um, being a civilian woman there, I get a certain level of attention or, um, that, you didn't really want to be honest um kind of made me kind of hide a little bit i didn't want to stand out so and i just i wanted people's respect right and i think a lot of these ladies can probably <laughs> understand that in certain positions especially if you work in a male dominated field you want to you want to prove that you belong to and that you can you can hold your own and that they should respect you and not just um Think your decoration or flirt or whatever um so i found uh i probably i think that might have helped my my fitness career too i think that i probably i'm a very competitive person but i probably pushed myself even more because i had something to to prove that i was also strong and also brave and i deserve to be there too so um yeah, I, I I got very competitive in our gyms in Afghanistan. Um, they would they would film us in lots of different competitions, and uh, it helped my credentials, I guess. If I was filmed lifting super heavy, and they would put that up in the in the gym, because then when my soldiers came on, they would respect me more. <laughs> you know, if I asked the, if I asked to check their weapons or anything like that, so I I did feel like I had to prove myself a little to get respect from. Uh, many of the men in, in the field that I worked in. Um, I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, Kate, what about yourself? Um, I've been, I mean, throughout my career, like I've worked with a lot of really awesome men and I've, I've never really run into a situation um, where someone has said that I can't do anything. Uh, I mean, there was one sort of, there was one, um, person who was kind of in a position of leadership back like years ago at an event and he was drinking too much and he sort of um, started saying some stuff to me but right before that he had said some stuff to like a smaller guy so in that case I think that he was just a bully and it wasn't necessarily um, I don't know like other you know that to me was just such an insignificant uh, little thing and he had, he had never actually like worked with me personally because he was in such a higher position so he had sort of no idea but everyone that I've worked with I mean it's sort of you're judged based on merit or I I always have been which is which is good I mean the only times I've felt like maybe um you know there was one course that like I didn't perform very well on I wasn't in the shape that I needed to be in and that wasn't you know it wasn't because I was a female it was because on that course like I was not as fit as I should have been um and that was just that was just the case and then the next one I made I made sure that it was and, and it was fine um but it's it's very much like it's based on whether or not you can do the job and yeah I I, re I really haven't run into any um incidents with like men who say I can't do anything like everyone I work with right now is is really awesome and supportive so I guess I'm I'm pretty lucky for that. Although that's that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. 
BBC, how about yourself? Yeah, sure. So earlier on my in my career, you know, I found that to be far more challenging than later because, you know, as you progress in life and as well as professionally, I think your confidence, but at least for myself, my confidence grew. So I was less likely to be intimidated by that. And, you know, and I absolutely was early on. I worked with an individual that was, you know, pretty misogynistic and I didn't really understand the pathways that were available to me at the time. I felt that, you know, based upon the interactions that were um, occurring, that, you know, I had to work harder. I absolutely, you know, had that ability to demonstrate that I was more than capable and confident in being in the organization, as well as the attributes that I had and the experience that I had when I had that interaction. And, you know, over time, I came to learn that it's that's a reflection on that individual and they absolutely were intimidated by the sense of um, you know those moments where there was a belief of where I may go in my career and where they may not and so it wasn't easy in that moment but again, through the course of my career, I, as I became more confident and a lot more secure in, in the individual that I am today, that when they did happen, and they absolutely did, I just sort of thought, okay, well, that's your stuff, not mine. And I think your armor grows as well, right? So, and what I mean by that is that your resiliency grows and your understanding and recognition of another uh, individual's thoughts and their, their um, you know, lack of confidence. And that's literally what I chalked it up to. I know I'm summarizing this um, without going into too much detail respecting the time that's available. It's not, it wasn't easy, but I also think that it, you know, as an individual, I grew from those experiences as well. So it made it much easier as life went on. Absolutely. Rebecca, how about yourself? I've been really fortunate as well. I can't recall a situation in my professional career, uh, having never been threatened or put down by men, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of really supportive men. And I work in a male-dominated industry, and um, I haven't had any. The only the only negative interactions that I've had or times when men have put me down have been like trolls on social media. But I don't really give that any weight because that's just par for the course when it comes to the social media world, and that has no bearing on my life. So. Other than that, no, I've, I've been really fortunate in that regard. Awesome. Uh, Julie, how about yourself? I wouldn't say that I've been put down uh, by men per se, but it would be more of them believing in your skill set. So when I first started racing, it was classic when you would be racing, often men would not get would not pull over, wouldn't let you go past. So they wouldn't believe that you could be faster than them. So it was, you know, a bit of a, an ego uh, issue. And one example that stands out is a number of years ago, my husband and I were doing a stage race together, the Trans Rockies. So as a team, you know, there's certain requirements. You have to be so close to your partner within the stage. And it happened time and time again, my husband would be ahead and then I would try to catch up to him and these guys wouldn't let me get past to the point that, you know, my husband had to start yelling, like, you've got to move over, my wife's about to kick your ass on this climb. So, you know, step away. 
so they just wouldn't have the belief system that I could beat them and it was a bit of a an ego issue I think things have definitely improved and men are starting to realize that women can be as fast if not faster or stronger but I would say that would be one of the biggest challenges that I ran into initially when I started racing Mm -hmm. Tanya how about yourself like Kate, I, I think I've been I've been very fortunate not to encounter a whole lot of, I guess, impediments or discrimination, um, at least in the gym or the the spaces that I've grown up in. And like Brenda, I I view this as people having it's it's really indicative of their relationship with with a having their mentality challenged or having their narratives challenged. Like this is their stuff. This isn't mine because it, you know, what gender I am, it, it shouldn't matter. It, it should be just really very much a meritocracy. And I'm pretty sure Kathy knows the, I'd say white and blue belt guys, especially the earlier white belts, when they have this moment, this look in their eyes where a woman is getting the better of them on the mats and they just have this death match where like they cannot lose it is suddenly kumite just no holds barred i must win and when they when they don't it at first i'd have a bit of uh schadenfreude but now it's kind of a chance to be like now this is the first step of i don't know of leveling up because this narrative you you needed you needed to lose this you needed to learn this lesson um, and, and yeah, welcome to the first day of the rest of your life kind of thing. And yeah, that's all I got to say on that. I like that. Uh, Sean, you got any thoughts on uh, maybe even having to tune some men up and be like, hey man, shut your mouth kind of deal? I have. I have done that physically, emotionally, psychologically. I have done those things. And uh, quite frankly, I had to learn the lesson myself in order to better understand the lesson so that I could then reinforce the lesson. And so BJJ is a great way to understand uh, what you can and can't do on day one. And uh, irrespective of the size of a person or the gender of a person or what have you, I think BJJ is an amazingly valuable first night lesson. Uh, but uh, throughout my careers, I have uh, seen a fair bit of uh, inappropriate uh, language or inappropriate uh, thought processes uh, on this subject. So maybe I've seen it more than the girls. I don't know. Uh, but uh, for sure, I've seen it. And whenever I've seen it, I come down pretty hard on it. Absolutely. Now we are, we got about 10 minutes ish left. I got a couple of questions. Tanya, is there anything else that you got uh, that you wanted to hit before we do some final thoughts? I got a whole list of less, uh, questions, so let's just, I'd love to hear the questions first uh, from from the audience, so to speak. Roger. Okay, well, let's hit those real quick then. Um, <clears throat> Winter Storm's got a really good one. It's kind of deep, uh, so I'm going to do a quick one first, and then I'm going to come back to you, Winter Storm. Don't worry. Um, Dr. C in the house, he says, do you feel sibling order matter? A sibling or sibling order <laughs> matters, uh, such as being the youngest or having an older brother, as example. Do you think that uh, that's helped in or maybe adjusted the way in which you um, he, he put this in when we were talking about uh, the needing of success to or 
reaching a certain level of success in order to pass stuff on. But do you think that, you know, the drive in which you found yourself achieving mattered based on where you are sibling wise? Let's, uh, I'm going to start with, who haven't I started with yet? (laughs) Um, Julie, how about yourself? For me, I would say, no, I have one sibling. However, she's only a year older than I am. So there's not a big discrepancy. I wouldn't say it was an impact for me in terms of um, of moving forward or, or how I operated. Perfect. Um, let's go to Kathy then. Yeah, I definitely think it did affect me. I had my two older brothers beating me up a lot at home. And, uh, you know, I had to prove myself constantly. I had to be scrappy. I had to, um, you know... Uh, they looked up to dad and dad, you know, gave approval and all of that because they were boys and they could do boys things. And of course, then I wanted to do boys things too. Henceforth, why I ended up joining judo. But for sure, being the youngest and being the little sister, getting uh, my head put through a wall and things like that as a kid, you know, made me want to prove myself and be more scrappy throughout life. And that's probably why I got that drive. Rebecca, how about yourself? Uh, I have an older brother, but we are really close. We always have been growing up. Like we never fought or had any physical altercations or anything like that. The only thing I think that maybe it did for me was just made me really comfortable being, having a lot of guy friends and being around the guys. So growing up and then becoming, working in a male dominated industry, spending a lot of time in the weight room, which is mostly guys. I think maybe that had a a factor in my comfort level there, but besides that, not really. Perfect. Um, BBC, how about yourself? Yeah, so I was raised as the oldest of my family and not only my immediate family, but all of my uh, cousins and my mom's uh, side of the family. So that sense of responsibility was um, pretty much, you know, infused in my DNA from the time that I was born pretty much and, you know, just and the role that I took on. So, you know, within a First Nation community and certainly within a family that's predominantly First Nations, you have those roles and responsibilities, and that's ultimately what I had to fulfill. So everything from, you know, if my cousin needed support and, you know, called for whatever it might be, then it was my role and responsibility to ensure that that support was provided. And it didn't matter if it was, you know, co-signing a loan by way of example, or, um, you know, helping them health-wise or, you know, supporting them through school. That was always a part of my expectations as I was, um, as I was being raised and for my siblings, um, again, the same thing, like I'm the one that had to make sure that the meals were cooked, they were on the table, like all of those aspects for them that, you know, as they were going through education and so forth, that I would be available to help them. And so I think that definitely helped. I also think that growing up with a lot of male cousins helped because very competitive, you know, um, always um, participating in some form of athleticism. So it didn't matter if it was hockey, whether it was baseball um, or, you know, curling, although, you know, some may not call that a sport, but, you know, ho- uh, soccer and so forth. It's, so it's a good time anyway. Right? <laughs> well, there's a bit of strategy with it. Come on. A little bit, for sure. Um, Kate, how about yourself? Um, yeah. So my, my boss actually asked me a few months ago, like if I had older brothers and he was very surprised when I told him that I was an only child growing up. Um, but all of the activities that I was involved in. So at the time, uh, I played hockey growing up and I played baseball among other things, but at the time, like there were no 
girls hockey leagues or girls baseball leagues. So I was often like the only or one of the only uh, females on the team. So I think going through that growing up, it was just kind of the norm. So then now if I find myself in like a military environment where I'm the only female like on a course or at my unit or um, doing whatever it is, you know, if I walk into a new gym and I'm the only one there in the jujitsu class, like to me, I'm, I'm comfortable with that just because that was kind of the way that I grew up. Um, so yeah, I can't, I obviously can't comment on sibling order because I have uh, zero experience with that. <laughs> no siblings. Perfect. Um, Julia, how about yourself? Uh, yeah. So I have one of those super unique families that um, I've got, I'm the only one from both my parents. I have an older brother and sister from my, uh, from my dad's first marriage. And then I have a younger sister from my, from my mom's second marriage. So I'm, and then there's actually, there's more that are related to them. So we're, I'm the only one in the middle. I, I guess I'm the middle child, but I feel like I'm the big sister. Mm. So I was raised uh, by a single mom. So it was just uh, my mom and my sister and I growing up. So my mom raised me and my little sister. And uh, so I just feel like I am the big sister. Uh, my older siblings are more like cousins in a way. I, they weren't really around. And they're much, much older. Um, so I don't know. And I was never, I never lived with men growing up, you know? So I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no influence from men whatsoever. So I have no idea how I ended up working with all men. <laughs> like, no idea. Like that's for therapy right there. I'm not yeah. sure <laughs> how that happened. Uh, but I did always feel like the protector of my little sister. And then my mom wasn't very, um, she wasn't well for, uh, for a long time. So off on disability. So I was being the older sister, I was kind of the protector. And like, I felt that need to take care of both my mom and my sister. So I had to take on a leadership role. Uh, very young, very young. Absolutely. Tanya, how about yourself? Um, I hate to admit it, but I was the older sibling that definitely accidentally, for the record, put my brother's head into a wall. Accidentally. He was trying to shake me off. <laughs> or he was, I was trying to shake him off rather. Um, but yeah, I was the oldest sibling, but I think what that gave me was kind of a sense of trailblazing because usually the oldest sibling has to go and break all the rules in order for the younger ones to have a more lenient style of parenting. Um, but other than that, what I usually did or found myself ending up, uh, the situations in which I found myself ending up were... I was usually like the smallest, the weakest, the youngest in my group. So it's sort of a play on that. If you're the smartest person in the room, you got to find a different room. And I always ended up in situations where I was required to level up. And it does seem to be a through line, I guess. I um, don't mean to assess all the amazing women on here, but it's it seems to be that you've found rooms where you are challenged, right? It's it just resting in complacency isn't your guys's jam. And also I guess to answer or my thoughts on Dr. C's thing is that while I sibling order may not matter. And for me, and also that you took what you experienced, like Brenda had the caretaking and the different situations that you ladies found yourself in and you just leveraged it. You, you made the most of it and you, that you use that to forge your path is kind of what I'm gathering here. Mm -hmm. 
that's outstanding. Now we are just about at time, so I'm going to go down the panel one more time and get uh, some final thoughts, and and then we'll shut her down. But before we do that, I just want to absolutely thank you guys so much because this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, two hours apparently is not enough because I know we can certainly sit here and talk all day, um, which maybe one day in the future we will. I'm definitely going to set up another panel like this. And uh, I'd love for all of y'all to come back. It'll be another wicked conversation. Winterstorm, we will get to your question <clears throat> in a minute. I'm actually going to throw it up so you guys can think about it. And if anybody that's uh, watching wants has any thoughts or anything like that, by all means, put them in the comments because we do read them. We make sure that uh, we'll be able to hit this. But this is just a really interesting concept that I think we should think about. He says, I see excellence on this panel. Do you feel that excellence is measured differently between men and women? And if it is, who is doing it and why? I think it's a great question. I'm going to save it for next time. So Winterstorm for the next panel, I will put it up. Absolutely. We just uh, don't have enough time for that right now. So going down the panel, um, let's start with Tanya, actually, and then I'll work my way up. What do you think? It has been an amazing conversation, and I have learned so much and just happy to contribute and be here. Outstanding. Julie, how about yourself? Final thoughts? Agree. It was a pleasure uh, meeting the ladies and and uh, knowing more about their stories and being inspired. I would just say on the topic of success, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you just uh, anyone can achieve or thrive towards their own personal success. It just takes patience, discipline, and focus, and surrounding yourself by the right people who inspire you and who are positive. Absolutely. Uh, BBC, how about yourself? It's been absolutely fabulous participating today. It's hard not to jump in because I, wanting to listen to everyone else's stories, it's been just remarkable. Um, you know, we did touch on this a little bit, the introspection piece, right? Really knowing who you are as an individual and what you bring to the table is important. And, you know, that comes through experience, obviously, but it also comes through those lessons of, you know, when we're failing forward and or, you know, we're just learning and the commitment to lifelong learning and being curious and inquisitive. So again, it's been absolutely wonderful to participate. So thank you very much for the invitation. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime, anytime. <laughs> Kathy, how about yourself? Yeah, um, it was just said to surround yourself with excellence. And uh, definitely you guys need to be my circle. So we all be my friends. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> On one condition, I need to hear Jackie Chan stories. There you oh, go. 100%. I got Jackie lots Chan of them. Stories. <laughs> I'll let you beat me up, Kathy. Sweet. <laughs> Bonus. Um, Julia, how about yourself? Final thoughts? Yeah, this has been fantastic. I'm so honored to be here and to meet all of you. And uh, yeah, I want to be friends with everybody. <laughs> this is an amazing group. And I would love to learn how to become a stunt woman. If you want to teach me how to do that, that would be amazing. That could be a next goal. And I think that's, yeah, when it comes to success, it's just always uh, uh, never giving up, always striving for more and um, never like feeling that pressure. Um, if you if you haven't achieved a certain level, you know, um, maybe there was a reason for that pivot and and what's, you know, what's another goal that could come of that or, you know, there's, there's always more there's, we've got, we've got our whole lives to live. So I'm excited for more success in the future. Absolutely. Rebecca, how about yourself? Yeah, this was great. I really enjoyed learning about everybody's backgrounds and uh, upbringings and 
perspectives on life based on our, our own personal experiences. And I'm excited to uh, know all of you now and have you in my circle and follow your journeys as you continue forging your paths. So thank you all for your time and thank you guys for the opportunity. Absolutely. Anytime. Kate, how about yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, this was just such an insane lineup of women. And like I said before, I kind of have imposter syndrome being here. Um, and I guess my final closing thought is that, you know, sometimes we can think that there's a lot of extra pressure on us as women to maybe if we're in the same sphere as men doing something that we need to like, perform extra or like, you know, achieve more than than the men just to be considered on the same level. But I think a lot of that is, you know, in my experience, a lot of it is like, kind of in my own head. Uh, and I, I definitely know, like, you know, talking to guys from work, it's like, that doesn't even enter their heads. So it's, you know, sometimes things get spun up in my own head about like, oh, you know, they're thinking that I can't do this because I'm a woman or this happened, whatever it is, right? It's like, they're not thinking that I'm thinking that they're thinking that. So um, I think sometimes we just need to go a little easier on ourselves. I like it. Sean, how about yourself? Final thoughts? Yeah, just gonna twist it up a little bit right at the tail end. So no one has uh, an opportunity to respond. But I think it'll make people think about things maybe a little bit right at the tail end. Uh, the cost of success, irrespective of the cost that we all have to pay to pursue success, it's a worthy price to pay, if not for ourselves, then most certainly for the people who are observing our own individual journeys. So if you don't want to pay the price for your success, pay the price for the eyeballs that are on you as you succeed in order to inspire others. Yeah, absolutely. Way to just dig that knife in right at the last second. That's what I like to do. <laughs> Again, uh, I cannot thank you all enough. This has been an outstanding two hours. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to have to extend the timeline on this one for the for the next go around because oh, we could be, we really, sh we, we should be here all day to discuss this. This is a huge topic, huge panel. Can't thank you all enough. It has been outstanding. So as we learn, you know, what the cost of success is, as we build upon the successes we've had in the past we get to learn how to be better just in general every day and you can do that with us here on the collective we'll see you all tomorrow chimo chimo <laughs>